I have invited two friends to help me today with this seminar. Uh, both of them will probably be familiar to many of you. And we had talked about doing a panel discussion, but you know, sometimes the questions get in the way and, and people get on a tangent. And what I really like is to sit and hear somebody tell from the bottom of their heart their best advice on a topic that is really near and dear to their hearts. And so I have invited each of them to help me today in just sharing what they believe are the most important aspects of communication and their best advice on how to do it well from their point of expertise, from their experience. Uh, the first one who's going to be sharing with us today is uh, Dick Dirksen. Uh, many of you know he is the storyteller. That is actually his official title with uh, Maranatha. And he has been a communicator well-known in the church for many, many years, probably since almost before I was born. Yeah, well, not before I was born, since 85. <laughs> He's the one with the gray hair. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> now, the, the other man who's going to be sharing with us today is Terry Benedict. And I have known him just for a few years. And I first heard of him when I saw a film that he produced the Conscientious Objector by about Desmond Doss. And many of you saw that. If you haven't seen it, go and find it and see it soon. It was a wonderful film about a man who really had depth of character. And uh, Terry Benedict is good at telling a story in film and, and in speech. And he's going to share some more about that. So we're going to go ahead and begin with Dick Dirksen. He's going to share from the hip his best advice. And then we'll go straight to uh, Terry Benedict. And then I'll wrap things up at the end. Maranatha builds buildings all around the world. And we do it as a responsive ministry, which means I love to build schools in Bali and Bora Bora. That's my desire. But you know, they've never asked. And so we're busy building schools in other places far away from Bora Bora because we're a responsive ministry. We only do what the church begs us to do. And they call and say, we've got this huge need. Well, a few months ago, the division in, yeah, thank you, it's probably off. A few months ago, the division in, that includes Honduras gave us their list. And they came to us and they said, here's all the countries, Ecuador, Honduras, Colombia. We've got some huge needs. And one of our biggest needs is in Honduras, talk to the union. And so we sent our people down, we talked to the union, we went to all of the places where they need churches and all the places where they need schools. We went to a little town of Olanchito in Honduras. When we arrived, the church said, we want you to renovate our school. Our school has 60 students, we think it could have 80. But it's dirty, the paint's peeling, the roof is falling in, there are bats in the belfry. And it, it, we need your help. And so we looked at it and said, boy, that's for sure. And they had six classrooms. We figured we might be able to really fix those six. That same time, we got a phone call from the Camelback Church in Phoenix, Arizona. And the pastor, Charlie White, said, we want to do a mission trip. We want to go to Central America because of the costs of air flights. And we want to build a school or help with a school? Is there any place we could go? Well, right now we have three other school campuses that we're building around Honduras. They're, we're just getting ready to start in Northern Colombia. We've got 12 campuses that we need to start in Nicaragua. Just huge needs. 
But for some reason, Olanchito clicked. And so we said, why don't you send a couple guys from Camelback and come down and meet Daryl Hardy, who is the Maranatha man on the ground in Olanchito, and let's talk about the school. We'll send you some pictures. Here's what needs to be done in renovation. And so they went. The reason I tell you the story is what happened next. The guys from Camelback went to Olanchito with plans in their pockets for what they were going to do. They had sat down with us. They had talked with Daryl Hardy and country. They had talked with the pastor. They had figured out how much money they could raise. And so they were ready to go. They figured they'd have 60 volunteers. And in 14 days, they could completely renovate the school and it'd be up for running. When they arrived, they left the plans in their backpack. That's the message I want you to hear. They knew what they were going to do. They planned carefully. And then they chose to listen first. There is nothing more important in communication than listening. Not the words, not the pictures, not your plans. The most important thing you can do is listen. In listening, you get to know your audience. And if you don't know your audience, you're going to say something that makes no sense. You're going to do something that doesn't fit the need. You're going to miss the target completely because you won't know where the target is. One of my old college teachers used to say, <laughs> oh, if you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up somewhere else. <laughs> I never figured out what that meant, but it made a lot of sense. Because every once in a while in my life, I get all excited about doing something, and I rush off to do it without figuring out if it makes any sense to anybody. I mean, one time I produced a magazine that nobody ever read. And it took me, you know, a month to figure it out that that was stupid, throw it away and start over and go the direction that really made sense to people and make that happen. When they listened around the table in Olanchito, the school principal, the pastor, the conference education director, the principal of the closest school in La Ceiba, the pastor said, what is your dream for this school? The principal answered, Necesitamos una cancha. Si tenemos una cancha, podemos hacer milagros aquí. And Charlie said, uh, do it again in English. <laughs> what we need most is a football field so that the kids can play soccer. Because if we had a football field, all of the kids in town would come, would be where we are, and we would be able to do miracles in this community. Can you build us a football field? Well, nobody even talked about a football field. And Maranatha is not an expert football field builder. That's not high on our list. We do other stuff. We do vertical things, not horizontal things. But the guys from Camelback listened. They spent an hour talking about football in Olanchito. Hadn't even talked about the school. And then when they had figured out the football field, where it could be, there wasn't room for it on the current school grounds. It would have to be somewhere else. But somebody had a friend who owned some land. And they talked about that land. And then the principal said, and when the football field is ready, could you build us a school around it that would hold 200 children? Because if we have a good football field, we will need room for 200 students. Now, that was what happened. Complete upside-down flip of everything they had planned to do. 
So they went and looked at the land, they scratched their heads, they went back and looked at their budget, and they came back to us and said, this is just wacko. We, oh, by the way, Daryl Hardy was with them, our Maranatha representative down there. So Daryl and Charlie called. We've got a better idea because this is what they really need. And so once they had explored the audience, they had to adjust the product. So we helped. And this is part of the story from the Olanchito trip. They did, they built 10 buildings. 200 students will go to school there starting, what is this, August? I think they actually were gonna start now in December. 200 kids will have a brand new school. That's finished. The cancha, the playing field, the grass is being planted so it'll grow and hopefully by December it'll be so that they can actually play it. Right now if you played in it, it's a mud bath. <laughs> really bad. We did that once just to prove it could be a football field and everybody looked so bad we moved to this spot, which was a little leveler. I mean a little better, harder. They built, they did a clinic and treated 900 people. They did vacation Bible school and served more than 1,300 children. They held an evangelistic series and baptized 60 new members. They stirred the village of Olanchito up so much that everybody came to the dedication of the school and the cancha, the new football field, including the mayor, who said, I have to support all the schools, but this is the one that will get most of my energy. I love this place. And every afternoon, 12 teenagers from Phoenix, Arizona, ran what they called soccer ministry. It reminded me of the days of uh, surfer ministry when I was in San Diego as a kid. But this was soccer ministry. And what happened was that the kids taught the camelback young men and women how to play soccer barefoot. And I love the picture. Look at the kids' toes. That's one of the Olanchito muchachitos who is a pelotero. And he's just, he's gifted. And the uh, dude behind him is one of the Camelback specials. And what they did was they built a whole new set of relationships. Already they know 200 student school is gonna be too small. Yes! So think about the communication process here. Maranoth from Maranatha's vantage point, we listen to the need people who have needs. We listen to the people who want to give. Our job is to connect them. If we connect the wrong people with the wrong product, we get really bad experiences, and we can tell you a couple. If we build something they don't need, we're stupid. We have to listen first. If we drop in and say, we got this really cool school we need to build for you, they just kind of look at you with big eyes. I have been part of that experience. I'm not going to give you all the reasons why it happened, but at one point, Maranatha built a school for 400 children where nobody wants it. It's really an interesting experience. And we did it because the conference and the union and the pastors told us that's what they needed. We didn't listen deep enough. When you listen deeper, you get a whole different set. So we always listen to the level that we talk to, union division. Then we go down, we visit. We go to the conference, we go down to the pastor, and then we sit around town and listen to people in town. All of that has to be coherent or we're gonna do something foolish. But then we bounce. 
we have to listen to the people who want to go do stuff. We have people who say, we want to do a clinic in Zimbabwe. We've got everything ready to go. And we have to say, well, you know, that's really cool. But in our last conversations with the Minister of Health, who is a Seventh-day Adventist in the country of Zimbabwe, you may not do clinics, full stop. If you want to make, do clinics, let's find another country for you, because that's not going to work there. And so you have all kinds of interesting realities. Successful communication and product delivery requires ears before it requires lips or computers. Am I making any sense? Uh, so many times I've read stuff that was printed for an audience that didn't exist or that was not the audience it was sent to. And when you, when you get a mailing that obviously doesn't go to me, it belongs to somebody else. I look at Brenda and we, and we sit around our table and we laugh. And remember times we've done things like that and we cry <laughs> and say, There's got, it's so good to be able to listen and transform in the process. First thing, listen so you know your audience. Second thing, listen so you know your product. Know everything there is to know about who you are, what you're doing, and why. Um, and I'm going to play you just part of a little MP4. And if you haven't met Animoto, you need to write it down someplace and go find Animoto. It's a fun place to create slideshows. And I don't have a, yeah, I do. Just a second. goes so many different places. It's just fun to see where we go next. But we're on a mission trip in Fede, Chile. It's called the Christmas Family Project. We have about 120 people with us. And there is a young couple. I don't know them. None of us know them. We have no interaction or knowledge of them before. They drop in on the meeting, the program, when it starts. Uh, they're not living together. They're living in the guy's dorm and the girl's dorm. But they're obviously a couple. So rather than ask a bunch of uncomfortable questions, I just listened, made friends, we pounded nails together, uh, Brenda and, and uh, Joanna became good friends working on medical. And after three days, Andre and Joanna came to me and said, would you be willing to marry us in the church on the Sunday after our big Sabbath celebration at the end of the project? How do you respond to that? What do you do? I mean, we're in a foreign country. I don't know anything about these people, except that here they are. And they're asking me to be the pastor who marries them. And luckily, there was another pastor. He's the guy who was running the project, Andrews. And so the two of us sat down with them. We laughed. We talked. We listened. And Sunday, we had a party, a wonderful party. And it was the Andre and Joanna party. Everybody in the town of Frede came. Did we have to go out and, and put out announcements? <laughs> no, all we did was talk about it with our group, and then other people started listening. The next thing you know, every person in the town of Frede 
which is probably 1,500 people, shows up for this crazy wedding. They packed the new church. It was the best thing that could happen to advertise the new church of anything we could have dreamt of. It was so awesome. And so I love making videos that move, that go from here to there and get there quickly and, and really just have energy. This is Andre and Joanna's favorite song. I make a video that matches them. And they fall in love with the video. They fall in love with us. They have been on two more Christmas family projects with their kids because both of them had teenage children. And so now we've got this blended family that is committed to serving around the world because a couple of us listened and helped to make their lives deeper and richer. That's all part of the communication process. And you match others, not just your own interests and desires. Does that make any sense? Um, it's not my favorite video. It's too slow. Um, I want to show you parts of another one. Maranatha Volunteers International is known for building churches. In reality, more than 50% of our resources build schools. Look at the pictures. Who are we targeting? Hello, help me. Who are we targeting? When you think grandparents, of that's right. Kids may not immediately the grandparents home. pay the money for the schools. Maranatha the kids don't, parents don't, the grandparents do. Maranatha, when, we, when we're busy but getting people to give us money to build a school in Zimbabwe, we've Africa, been building lots of South America, doesn't matter. Maranatha builds schools for the same reason we build churches. We want as many people to learn about Jesus as possible. Know your audience. Know your product. And don't get the two mixed up. Be sure that the words you use match the audience. If I use slang in talking on the television show, if I use uh, current connections, grandparents turn me off. If we're targeting a program to teenagers, we use a whole different set of words, and we use them purposefully. In the school that I was standing in at the beginning of this, and I'll take you back there just so you can see the, uh, the, the location. Okay, that's the big church in a brand new school that we have just built in January of this year in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe. When we got there, everything came in containers from Dodge Center, Minnesota. All the steel, the walls, the windows, the roofs, everything except the concrete. And so we're, we've got everything there. We open the containers. There's going to be 1,000 students in this school. It's three preschools, giant primary school that'll hold 400 kids, uh, 500 kids, I'm sorry, and a secondary school that'll hold 400 more, all right here on this ground. We're busy building it, and as we open the containers, set all the steel out in the right piles to get it all organized like a bunch of Tinker Toys, we realize that there's a problem. Every window requires two bolts and two nuts on each bolt. The bolts are there, there's no nuts. A couple of phone calls, the nuts are in Minnesota. They're sitting on, on a counter. What do you do about that? Well, you go to Home Depot, right? We could not find 1,000 bolts. We needed 500 bolts and 1,000 nuts. We could not find those in Zimbabwe, in Zambia, in Mozambique, or South Africa. And we were in big trouble. 
And so we went to one of our guys and we said, would you please uh, go over to the hardware store, which is about the size, half the size of this room. Go over to the hardware store and we want you to buy two nuts for 500 bolts, 1,000 nuts, and come back as soon as you can. Well, he knew the problem. He knew there were no nuts and that they weren't going to find any. But he went into the store and here's what he did. He went to the counter and he said, I want to talk to the oldest man here. And an old dude came shuffling out. You know what? Now they talked into belly to each other because we couldn't. They could. That's why we sent him rather than one of us. And he said, I'm with this group of Seventh-day Adventists who are building the new school up by the airport. We have 500 bolts. We need two nuts on every one of them. Can you sell us 1,000 nuts for these bolts? And the old man looked at it and said, here's what he said. It was just totally bonkers. He said, you know, the problem of these are standard. And everything in this part of the world is metric. Americans are so stupid. Just because the Brits did metric, why did you have to do standard? Just can't you, you drive on the right, they drive on the left. You got, and he gives in this big lecture. And finally he calms down. The guy says, would you just look and see if by chance you have a thousand met, uh, standard nuts that will fit this bolt somewhere in your store? And the guy said, yeah, well, you know, he shuffles up. 20 minutes later, he comes back. He's got the bolt. And he says, I have a story to tell you, as he slips a nut onto the bolt. And if you put metrics on here, they'll never fit. He slips one on, then he slips two on. And he says, 60 years ago, a Rhodesian farmer walked in here and ordered 1,000 standard bolts. We all tried to argue him out of it. It was a stupid idea, but he was determined. I have no idea what he used them for. And so we ordered a thousand standard bolts from America. He didn't want nuts. All he wanted was bolts. The guys in America refused to sell us bolts unless we bought nuts, so we bought nuts. And the guy paid for them, and he came one day, picked up all his bolts, and went home. They have been sitting on a shelf in the back room for 60 years, waiting for you to come and ask for them. And he sold us a thousand nuts for our windows. Now I have three questions. Why didn't the angels help the guy in Minnesota to remember to put the nuts in the container? And my second question is, why did the guy in Zimbabwe want bolts that were standard? My third question is, why did the guys in the United States refuse to just sell bolts and demand they sell nuts too? I mean, none of this makes any sense, right? But 60 years ago, Somewhere in supply in heaven, a group of angels sat around and said, all right, we just got this memo 60 years from now. The good's going to forget it, so we need to make sure that we've got nuts ready for them. And they set this all up. There are no coincidences. God plans all these. And so the, when I get to heaven, it's the angels from supply I want to meet first. How does all this work? Why does all this work? I have no idea, but I want to learn. The reason I tell... Oh, and then one more thing. When the nuts are put on the shelf, where were the angels? If I'm telling this story to a group of grandparents, I talk about the angel who guarded the nuts for 60 years. Because that's the way grandparents think. Their mentality from the country, the generation they're within, you gotta have an angel standing next there. Don't, don't look up there. Guarding the boxes. If I'm telling it to teenagers today, I talk about the invisibility cloak that the angel dropped over it and then went off to do other things. 
because the kids today don't understand anybody taking that much time, but indivisibility cloak, that's a very common Harry Potter world. And the teenagers I live with know Harry Potter, and they know what indivisibility cloaks do. And so you, know, you change your language to match the audience, but the product is the same. When I tell the story, I want you to say, isn't it amazing? God planned 60 years ahead. I wonder how far ahead he is planning in my life for the things I'm worried about today. That's the three things I wanted to tell you. Listen so you can match your audience. Listen so you know your product. Match the two in ways that will get your job done to connect people directly to Jesus. Terry, you're on. Okay. Um, for those of you who don't know my background, I come from LA. I've been in the film business since I got out of school at, um, at Pepperdine. So one of the first things, being an altruistic-minded young man at the time, I thought the truth mattered. Do you think this statement is true? The truth doesn't matter. Somebody saying depends. Let's all be brave now. How many of you believe the truth doesn't matter in marketing? Marketing. Oh, okay. Um, somebody says it's the illusion. How many of you believe that presentation is more important than the truth? All right, let me ask you this. What happens if you tell the truth and it's like the tree falling in the forest and nobody's around? Does the truth matter then? What happens if you tell the truth in marketing and somebody listens? Does it matter? How many of you ever had buyer's remorse? You bought something because it was marketed to you with a story or facts or whatever, and as soon as you got it, it's like, well, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought I was getting. Does anybody want to say no? <laughs> um, so when it comes to truth, doesn't matter. And, and, and this is in the context of even how we deliver the gospel. Because is, the, is it actually possible to deal and market absolute truth? Is that possible? Is it? What about who we are and who our voice is? Do we ever put, you know, our spin on it? Is that even possible not to put your spin on it? I mean, these are pretty core questions that we have to ask ourselves, especially when we're dealing with spiritual matters, I think. Okay, so I propose to you how and why matters, how we tell the truth matters. You know, Dick was telling a couple of stories there. You know, also, the next slide we'll get to, I, 
you know, my grandfather could not tell a really good story, at least one of my grandfathers. My other grandfather told great stories. You know, not every person tells stories, and, and we, it, it, a lot of it has to do with facts. You know, we tell just the facts. Or somebody will add some color to those facts. One of the things I want to, one of the points I want to get across to you, how many of you are with, have your own outreaches or NGOs or ministries? Anybody? Okay, yeah, okay, good. All right, effective branding. Okay, this little sketch here, you know, much of the time we try to just scream out our message about what we think, you know, what we need to get across to people. But one of the things, and Dick said this, you know, a lot of this is about listening. And this, this little character over here, she's thinking, why do I care? And I'll give you a very specific example. About a year and a half ago, I don't know if any of you have seen this series that uh, I created called Hope in Motion for the Asian Aid uh, Organization. And Helen Eager, who's the co-founder of that organization, was talking to me about getting involved with them. And I, and I was very upfront with her. I said, give me one good reason why I should care about an orphan in India when we don't even take care of our own in this country. So give me one good reason why I should care. And she just kind of smiled and she said, well, Terry, I don't think country borders should have anything to do with it. A child in need is a child in need. And so just her simply saying that convinced me that, you know, it moved me enough that I felt like, you know what, I really need to consider whether or not I should get involved with this organization. Why I should care. I mean, there's lots of good ideas and there's lots of good reasons to get involved with causes, as it were. But we have to figure out ways to actually communicate to other people why it's a good idea to get involved. Here's three things that are facts. Whether we want to agree with them or not, they're just, they're, they're point of fact. Number one, everyone has a great story to tell. Every single person in this room and part of my job as a filmmaker, a storyteller, there are no such thing as boring people or boring stories. There's just bad storytellers. You know, storytellers that just don't get it, they don't see and read in between the lines. There are, everyone has a great story. Sometimes as storytellers, we just have to dig a little deeper to figure out what the, what the right angle is. Second thing is, how well you tell your story is more important than your story. I used to tell Desmond Doss one time we were sitting and I was very frustrated with him. He told his story for 60 plus years. And he told it, wrote, he told it by rote. You could, I could literally ask him on any given day to tell his story and I could intercut word by word his story and you would never know the difference. So one day I got really frustrated and I said, you are the worst person to tell your story. And he kind of smiled and he said, well, well, why is that? And I said, because you leave out all the good parts. He left out all the color. He had told it for so long. He just, and he was a very humble man. And he just, heroes don't tell their own story well. So who tells your story is really important. It really is important. 
there's something that um, I've, in, in, for the last several years, I've started doing. It's, it's um, under my Shea uh, Foundation is doing message marketing. There's this culture that has permeated in what we call the one-man band. And it's gotten to be quite rampant, and it causes bad storytelling. Um, part of Shea's philosophy, uh, the foundation that we started, is that we believe that every single baby coming out of the womb is gifted. There is no such thing as a small group of children anywhere in this world that is gifted. Every child coming out of the womb is gifted if you believe in Psalms. That every child has been gifted by God and has a special purpose in life. And so there are plenty of people, young, middle-aged, and old, that are gifted to tell stories. And this little sketch here, you know, and I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been guilty of this where people say, can you do everything and try to do it? And things fall through the cracks and, and it shows up in the final story. I, do, how many of you know Gary Burns, the Lake Union communication director? Gary was just telling me the other day, he went to do an interview had this amazing interview that he was doing, and he was having to work as a one-man band, and somehow the mute button got pushed on the camera. And so there was no sound for this great interview. Had he had a sound man, that would never have happened. This stuff happens way, way, way too much. So what to do? How many of you have heard about the, that old proverb about feed a man a fish? You know, you feed him for the day, teach a man to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime. And it doesn't matter whether it's the nonprofit world or the corporate world. Marketing is king today. It was probably king for quite some time, but it definitely is king today. If this man, if we just kind of think for a second here, let's just picture there's an orphan sitting here, he's hungry, and I got a buck to go buy him some food. Now, most of us, when we start a cause, it's not just because of one individual, there's because there's some group that we're wanting to help. So if I only have one dollar, and I go and feed him, okay, I've got no other income at this point. I've got no other way to further my outreach. Now, if I took that dollar, and yes, that orphan might have to be hungry for a little while longer, and I actually use that dollar to go and communicate to you people in this room, do you think I could get back more than one dollar? If I can't, something's wrong with the way I'm telling the story. But I've not ever had that happen with any of the organizations I've ever worked with or anything that I've done. Marketing-wise, if you tell the story right, you're going to get that dollar and a whole lot more back. So I can only not only feed this orphan right here, I can feed a lot more. And so one of the things we need to consider 
is the fact that as we receive our funding, marketing doesn't need to be at the bottom, it needs to be up at the top. How many are familiar with Matthew 25? How many are familiar with the talent story? What did that landlord, how much were they supposed to invest? All of it. Now, did they invest it all in feeding somebody? Or did they invest, what's, what does invest mean? It means something, what does it mean? To put it someplace where it's gonna what? Multiply, right? These, this, is, this is not just some man-made principle. We need to think about that. Matthew 25 is a growth strategy. Jesus was pretty clear about it and about our, our responsibility as human beings walking the faith, face of the earth. It was so important that he said, hey, you know what? When I come back, I'm going to separate you all. So we have some accountability towards this, right? There's something else that happens with this principle. If I go to you all in this room and tell this story well, here's the reason why it multiplies. Because if you become inspired, what happens? You tell other people. You know, there's a big dialogue going on in this church right now and other churches about social media and all this stuff. And my question to them, what do you have to talk about? If you don't have anything to talk about, you've got no social media. Social media is event-driven. You've got to be doing something to have something to say for anybody to care about it. One of the things that, um, and, and, and Dick's in this related, related field because when he goes down to a place, he doesn't necessarily know what's gonna happen. You know, when I went halfway around the world to India, I mean, my dream was to, to really document an orphan being dropped off. Now that's not really been done before and you go through the process. And it was, it changed my life. And so if you happen to watch that episode, there are two or three of those episodes that the revenue meter just starts climbing because it touches a universal theme. And one of the things that is so important, you have to touch a universal theme. Love is certainly one of those, compassion, Everybody has loved, and everybody has lost. Well, at least most of us. And we have to look at these universal themes. You know, Dick was talking about angling at a grandparent uh, market. You know, there, there are certain things that are important to that, that audience. And he's right, you have to know your audience. And not only do you have to know your audience, you have to speak their language. 
And there is no such thing as one size fits all. And I'll tell you, the DOS film, when I did that, that came about the closest to a universal language. Kids as young as six or seven have watched that film. And as old as there, there is. But everybody, the, the interesting thing about that language thing is, is that people, when they watch that film, they take away different things from it. And when we're talking about, for those of you who have an outreach, um, where's my, uh, hey, Mark, can you get me back up to, I think I blew by that list thing of telling your story. That, I think what it, that fourth slide, just go back. Thanks, Dick. All right. I want to go back here to this for a second. This great story to tell thing. Let's say your outreach is orphans. Okay, that's not your story. We help orphans. That's not your story. It's like, why do you help orphans? Why should anybody care that you help orphans? What's motivating you? You know, when I look at Helen and the way she lives her life, uh, I call her Mother Teresa part two, um, because she is subscribed to a life of poverty, literally. And, and so when I saw and got to know her, I told the Asian Ape folk, I said, listen, we got to tell Helen's story. And I think this is the second episode or something that, that you know, we kind of just show a little bit of what Helen's life is like. And, and that touches people. When we go back to does the truth matter, the reason why the the only reason why the truth matters is because, in how you present it, is because what you said, people will go and share it with others. If the truth doesn't resonate or come through as being transparent, people will not go and share it. They'll say, you know what, I have buyer's remorse. I'm sorry I ever got involved with that organization. You won't see Matthew 25 growth. And when we fast forward to Matthew 25, if you're going to claim that you're a faith-based organization, you better be walking that talk. And if you think, well, I can't really spend this dollar right now for marketing because I don't have it, well, then maybe you ought not be in the business. If you're going to be a faith-based organization, you've got to walk that talk, and people will see it. They, they, they will sense it. I want to read, how many of you are familiar with um, the devotion, My Utmost for His Highest? Sorry, I turned my back on you. Raise your hands again. I almost did it again. <laughs> this, this is really important to me, and the reason it's important, if any of you, you know, are, when you think God has given you a vision, I'm here to tell you from personal experience, you're going to walk alone for at least a little while. Uh, if, if you know this book, it's one of my favorite days. It's July 4th, no, I'm sorry, July 6th. It's called Vision and Reality. God gives us a vision 
Then he takes us down to the valley to batter us into the shape of the vision. And it is in the valley that so many of us faint and give way. Every vision will be made real if we have patience. Um, I'm going to skip down here a little bit. Ever since we had the vision of God, had the vision God gave us, and it's been, he's been at work in getting us into shape of the ideal. And over and over again, we escape from his hand and try to batter ourselves into our own shape. So let him put you on his wheel and whirl you as he likes. And as sure as God is God and you are you, you will turn out exactly in accordance with his vision. Don't lose heart in the process, because if you ever had a vision of God, you may try as you like to be satisfied on a lower level, but God will never let you. You can be like Jonah and run away from that vision, and he's going to haul you back in as best he can. And... The things that I've tried to communicate with you here, including doing the one-man band, don't be tempted to go down that path. I was talking to a doctor, a dermatologist, just the other day, and she was saying, Terry, she said, everybody thinks they're a doctor these days. And I said, yeah, I know it's a problem. Everybody thinks they're a photographer. And it's true. The digital world has given everybody almost access to everything. And the information world has done the same thing for doctors. We can all pre-subscribe everything we want to do. We go to our doctors, tell them what drug we want. Because of marketing. Exactly. So I, I leave with these parting words. The reason why I'm standing up here and getting so passionate about all of this stuff is because I believe in a first-class God. And I believe that he, he expects of us to deliver his message in a first-class way. And that we have to have the faith that he's going to deliver in the way that he wants to see it delivered. But if we're not going to follow biblical principles, well, then we're just, he's going to have to keep battering on us away until we sort of try to get it figured out. And I can tell you that when you're given a vision, if you can just submit, 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 you will get, just like Oswald Chambers is saying, God will deliver. He will not deny you. It's his vision. If it's his vision, he'll deliver. We just have to submit. And one of those principles is Matthew 25 is a marketing principle. It's a growth strategy. You got to think of that. Thanks. I've been listening to these two communicators for a long time, and I watch how people tell stories. I watch how people communicate. I get your newsletters, and I get the stories that you send me in the news stories, and it's my job to make sure that somebody's actually hearing them and that somebody's actually reading them. And so I, I care. I, I, I listen to your stories of how you've begun your ministries and how the Lord has called you, and I feel a personal burden to make sure that people know what is in your heart and why you're doing what you do. And I hope that today what you're going to learn is some practical advice on how to re-examine why you are doing what you do. Because if you don't know, 
then you're not going to be effective. And just like you need to learn to listen to others, you also need to learn to examine your motivations, examine why you are in ministry in the first place. Now, I personally believe, I've been married to a communicator for 20 years. I was not originally in communications. I went to law school, and that's what I intended to do. I thought communications, marketing, all of that was not that important. <laughs> and I, I, I really acted that way, I think, for at least the first 10 years of our marriage. And that's funny that the Lord would have ended up putting me where I am so that I would learn the importance of communication. I know that many of us think I can talk. I have computers, I have cameras, I know how to communicate. But it's really not that simple, and I have learned that by experience. Why is communication so important? Because it's our calling. This is what God has called us to do, whether it's through our words or through our actions. We are called to communicate. How did God bring the world into existence? With his voice, he communicated us into existence. Words are communication. We either build up with how we communicate or we destroy. And I would like to submit to you that every time you communicate, however, whatever means you're using, every time you communicate, it has eternal consequences. So this is not a small matter. It's also the way we share with people hope for the future. And if we can't give them hope, they're not going to be interested in what we have to share in our ministry. So I think it's good to ask some of the first questions first. What is the point? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my mission? Go back to that original burning calling, like Terry says. There's something that the Lord called you to. You need to know what that is. Your mission or your vision statements cannot just be something that you put up on the wall or that you talk about and it's always on all your annual reports and your board meeting notes. You need to understand what that mission is, what God is calling you to do, because he's given you a specific job and he's also given you the specific talents with which to accomplish that. Um, now, once you identify that purpose and that calling, then everything else that you do will be shaped by that. Now, I want to give you an example. I speak as a writer because I, I would rather be in front of 100 keys than in front of 100 people, personally. Uh, so I think of everything in terms of how it plays out on a page. Now, if you've gotten the, the most recent uh, uh, Inside ASI magazine, there's a story in there. It's called uh, He Must Increase. Uh, it is one of my favorite stories in the magazine this time. This, now, most of the stories that I get are almost twice as long as what you end up seeing in the magazine. Many of them come to me without a purpose or a theme. You know, people are, I get blogs, I get things that just kind of meander, tell, you know, we went on a mission trip, and I'm saying the same thing. Why? Why did this make a difference? Did this even affect you, you know, for being there? Well, my friend Christine uh, had sent me this story, and she says, you know, because I, I had been interested in this family that had gone down and, and was doing this mission. And I said, you were just there. You went to visit them. You're related to them. Send me your story. And she says, okay, I will. I said, I'll take whatever you have. Just give me the raw material. I will find something in there. I'll find a story. Okay, so she sent me her, and, it, and she really, it was a long, meandering story. She was kind of like a blog. She told how she went down there, saw everybody, and... You know, the, the he must increase theme was not there at all. But I know the young man who said that. And I could just imagine him 
you know, doing this. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. And when I re read what she had said, I, I called her back. I said, Christine, I see the story in what you sent me. And I told, her, told this to her. I said, you know, the whole point of this, the whole reason you went down there was to hear your nephew say these words to you. He must increase. And I'm not going to tell the whole story. You have to read it. There are, there are copies of the magazine everywhere. And I said, you have to tell this story with this focus and with your theme, with this theme. Now, I'm talking to you as a writer, but it doesn't matter whether you're a photographer, whether you're a filmmaker, whether you're just, you know, other actions that the Lord gives you to do to communicate. Uh, what you do and how you communicate has to be focused around that theme. So I got rid of everything else in that story that she sent me that was not connected to the purpose for telling that story, what I saw as a purpose. Now probably, you know, Dick or Terry could go read the same thing that Christine sent and they would see a whole nother purpose in there, a whole nother theme, a whole nother story. It would be just as rich and just as good and that would be the story that God gave them to tell. But God had given me this purpose and this vision of what this story meant and that's how that came out. So I urge you to read that story and um, for an example. Now, Sometimes it's hard to be edited. It's hard to have somebody listen to you and say, you know, it's important. Maybe you could say this a little better or say this a little shorter, but this is not on my authority. Uh, Ellen White has some interesting uh, quotes about this. She was a very prolific author. She wrote a lot. And yet she counseled writers, our publications have a most sacred work to do in making clear, simple, and plain the spiritual basis of our faith. Now, she's not saying this has to be long or short, but she's saying it one way or another, it needs to be clear, simple, and plain. She wrote to one man, she said, it would be greatly for the interest of Brother D to cultivate simplicity and ease in his writings. He needs to avoid dwelling at length upon any point that is not of vital importance. And even the most essential manifest truths, those which are those themselves clear and plain, may be so covered up so that it has to be left cloudy and indistinct. She also says, Brevity should be studied. That's being short on words. <laughs> in order to interest the reader, long wordy articles are an injury to the truth which the writer aims to print. And I, the, one of the things that I learned from my husband who's a graphic designer is the value of white space. Now it's hard for me when I get articles and they're long because you know when you, when you have a story, you're married to everything that happened in that story. You just love every word and every, you know, it means a lot to you. But I learned from my husband the importance of white space. You know, I get a lot of newsletters that are packed to the hilt from their, the margins are filled. Everything is there and I don't have time to read all of that. So you've got to catch me and I'm interested. You know, I'm, I'm your best friend when it comes to you telling me stories. I want your stories to be told. But I'll look if you can't catch me in the first paragraph or sometimes I'll jump to the end. If I can't see the purpose or the meaning in that story, I can't use it and I have to toss it. Is this, is this making sense to you? So if you want someone like me to help you tell your stories, then you need to have a clear sense of what the purpose of your actions and your stories are so that then when you bring it to someone like me who is going to help you do that, I can find those details. Now, this requires focus, and now this applies to everything you do. And here's three, three points, just quickly to remember. You identify your main point, stick to it from start to finish. Okay, generally just tell one story. Leave out anything that doesn't relate to that point. 
And, and this means you know, that's hard work. It's much easier to kind of ramble on and tell your story. I mean, even in conversation every day, I catch my, I'm a talker. I'll just go on and on. I'll think, what am I doing? I just need to shut up, you know? <laughs> and, and so I have to edit myself. I'm learning to edit myself. I'll go back, I'll write a story, and I'll go back and edit it. It will be half as long and so much better. Now, there's another thing I want to share. This is just, and these are sort of related, but not, you know, not completely related points. But this is the best advice that I have received from just listening to good communicators in, in uh, recent months, just seminars I've attended or things that I've listened to, books that I've read. Uh, I, I listened to a seminar by Phil Cook, who's another filmmaker and media branding expert. He does maybe some of the similar things to what Terry does. And he really urged an audience that recently, you have to be transparent. But then he said, you know, you don't just have to be transparent. You are transparent. This is what Terry was talking about. You cannot pretend anymore to be something that you're not. Gone are the days where you can have your movie persona and then go live a different life at home. People can Google you. People are seeing you at conferences. People know who you really are. And they will talk about you on Facebook. <laughs> Or they'll talk about you at the ASI conventions. Or they'll talk, you know, people know. And, and so it is very important, like he said, not just to walk the, the talk, to live a consistent life. So when you identify what your purpose is, you identify what you want to communicate, you'd better be prepared to live it you know, through in your own life. Uh, you cannot be inconsistent and get away with it. Now, this applies to the people who work with you. This applies to the people who answer your phones. They are as important to your marketing of your, of your organization and your ministry as your great vision. Somebody can call you, and you may be the kindest, most compassionate, most generous person on earth. If the person who answers the phone at your ministry, and that's the first communication that somebody has with your ministry, is unkind, uncaring, uncompassionate, doesn't have the time of day you know, for that person. That is what you will be remembered for. That is what you won't even know why people aren't giving you money anymore. You don't even know that it has nothing to do with you because you have other people who are representing you. So you have to be able not only to, co to communicate your vision, you have to take the time with your employees and with your workers, and even on a Maranatha trip, to some degree, take time to communicate to people why they're here and what they're doing, how they should communicate, how they should view their, their purpose. Um, another point, it's important to be teachable. You know, you, you, <laughs> when I, I can remember the first story I had uh, published, I was, it got edited quite a bit, and I was really, my feelings were hurt. <laughs> I have come to appreciate editors a lot, and this, this is my favorite story about this. I, I, sent, we, I write a little column, actually ghostwrite a column and for somebody. For, it's a religion column for a little newspaper in a town where we used to live. And I know the editors of the paper well. And, and so I was going to write a column about um, uh, you know, the rabbit and the hare and likening different personalities and how the Lord uses every personality, including the people who are maybe slow and the, and the rabbits and, and that kind of thing. Well, I started, I thought I had a great lead. I started out with, my husband and I are in every way like rabbits. <laughs> and that's where I started it. <laughs> and I sent it off to her. I know some of you are smiling and I know why. We have four children, so <laughs> she... <laughs> That was the first thing she thought of was, what do rabbits do? They reproduce very fast. <laughs> and that was not the point that I was trying to make, but I couldn't see it. 
Okay, so she wrote back to me, she says, are you sure that's how you want to start your story? And at that moment, I had this vivid, just the most greatest understanding I've ever had of how valuable it is to be edited, to be willing to be taught, to have a second point of view. Let somebody else read what you write. Practice what you're going to share in front of somebody. You know, let somebody read your bullet points before you get off and you know get up in front of somebody and speak. It's really important. Um, Another thing, and this is something that we touched on in the magazine, there, there's another article uh, on, on media in the latest Inside ASI. It's that you've got to be relevant today. And it's very easy for us to say, I, I even say this, you know, why, I wish I could go back to the world, raise my kids in a world where there weren't all these video games and television, and all these distractions and Facebook and social interactions that I can't even keep up with. You know, everything is, is such a fast pace now. Communication just zips all over the world now. But the reality is we're not going back. There is no going back to where the world was before. And this is where people are communicating. Facebook is there. You know, we've got uh, videos that are coming in, you know, fast-paced videos on YouTube. People are communicating in certain ways, and we can't ignore those, those avenues. So what we need to do is embrace them. We know, and when you know what your purpose is, and you've identified what story you want to tell, then you're better prepared to actually use all of these avenues. Now, one thing I've noticed, you know, everybody has a website now, and most people are going to go look for you. They're either going to try to look for you on Facebook first, because then all they have to look for is your name from Facebook. Then they can find your website, your contact number, sometimes your email. It's a very good way to remain visible to, to people out there and have them find your website. But a lot of times, people have a website, and they'll have a great story that would be a great, you know, something that would move people to support this ministry. But nobody knows it's there, because nobody has been alerted to the fact that there's a website there or that there's a good story there. So you've got to actually use those avenues and let them talk to each other. So what, what I've tried to increasingly do for ASI is make sure that the website is talking about the magazine and the magazine is giving you links to the, to the website and that, that, you know, because I can't put everything in one place. And so, you know, I use the announcement slides in, in the evenings or after the programs to let you know that you can check the website for certain information or that you can check your convention guide for certain information. Uh, you know, you have to use all of the avenues and let them speak to each other. Um, To kind of go over some of these points, if you're making a list, the points that I've kind of shared are identify your purpose, focus your, the efforts of your communication, be transparent and be honest because you cannot get away with being somebody that you're not. Uh, be teachable and humble. That means learning to communicate well is like the sanctification process. This is all about our, you, you'll learn so much about your salvation by learning how to communicate well. Uh, and be relevant. Now, this last one sounds like it has nothing to do with communication, and I believe it has everything to do with communication. And it's what, one simple little phrase, let it go. Every one of us has been wronged in this life. We all have stories to tell. We have things, bad things that people have truly done to us that we did not deserve. Uh, they've told lies about us, maybe about our ministries. They've shorted us money, you name it. Everybody has a story to tell about they, how they have been harmed or wronged. Yet the Bible tells us to dwell on things that are of a good report. 
There is a reason for that. People and ministries that are motivated by business eventually turn into poison. I cannot emphasize that enough. If your purpose and your ministry is motivated or, or maybe something happened to you and you used to have a great testimony or a great burden with your organization and at some point somebody wronged you and now half of every sermon that you give or half of every story that you give has to do with you know, kind of letting people know that you've been wronged or that something's not right. It will only reflect on you and on your ministry, and people will drift away. And that, you know, it kind of shows how there's this interconnectedness of our understanding of who God is and how we communicate. And this is what really hits me. Um, I read this little Jewish proverb. It says, every employee should know that every act is a marketing act. Oh, here's the the Jewish proverb. It says, don't open a shop unless you know how to smile. (laughs) That's so important. And now I don't think that proverb is talking about, uh, you know, a feigned smile of a martyr. (laughs) We all know how to do that. It's talking about the genuine, compassionate smile of one who knows God and who knows that God is in control. I agree. I, I do not believe there are any coincidences in the life. The older I get, the more convinced I am that there are no coincidences. When you have that knowledge, you have hope, and that hope gives you the ability to forgive those who have wronged you, to walk away from it, let the Lord deal with it, and get on with the business of doing the ministry that the Lord has called you to. And when you are able to forgive, then you're able to go back now and identify your purpose because you've let go of all these burdens. You can better identify your purpose, find your focus, be transparent, be teachable, and stay relevant. Does that make sense? When you let these burdens go, it's all connected. So perhaps really good communication begins with self-examination, with submission. I love that how Terry says, submit, submit, submit. Trust, humility, and much prayer. These are keys not only to learning how to be a good communicator, but learning how to be effective in your ministry. And I think, you know, every one of us in this room shares certain goals. You know, we want people, when they read what we've written, when they look at our pictures, when they, you know, watch our films, to say, I'm glad that I took the time to read this. This changed my life. This made a difference to me. In fact, I want to tell somebody else how this made a difference to me. And even more important, I know and understand God better than I did before. Because what's the point of all of it? The point is to know God more. That is the point of all communication. That is the point of all of our ministry. And that is the essence of communication. And I can't think of anything more important than that. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father, you have gifted each one of us with different skills in communication. And we just ask that you help us to identify our strengths and our weaknesses to be willing to learn and to improve those skills and to be able to to trust others sometimes when you're asking us to rely on the talents of others and not try to do everything ourselves. Help us to have a better vision for what you've called us to and how to accomplish it. Help us to support each other, to listen to each other, to work together, and to just be a a great part of bringing your coming even sooner. In Jesus' name, amen.
This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.